Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are continuing our journey together in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the 8th chapter now. We have moved past the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and we are now working into a uh, series where Jesus is going to be doing a lot of uh, miracles and healings over the next couple of chapters. So, uh, we will spend probably a little bit uh, today talking about Jesus healing many, and then we'll probably finish it off with a good chunk of the cost of following Jesus, and that's going to be 18 through 22 in chapter 8. So as uh, I always ask, uh, I'm always you know, looking to get this podcast out there, and the best way to do it is through the listeners and your uh, ability to share it on your social media platforms and share it amongst your friends and your churches and things like that. And for that, I am very grateful because we have seen a pretty good uh, spike in listens and downloads in the last couple of months. So that is uh, tremendous. And as always, I always uh, appreciate um, all of the uh, all of the re- reviews that are given, even if you don't like the show. I fully appreciate it and I just find one of them to be quite humorous it came from a few years ago and it just happened to slip under the radar I didn't pick it up until just a couple weeks ago and it was a one star totally fine one star and he said uh, though I've gotten a lot out of the show the show is uh, rather poorly researched and I got to think I'm like okay well what was I doing when that review came so I look back uh, we had finished the whole series on eschatology. So we had done over a year's worth of content on eschatology. And then we were starting to work into those lesser known books in the Bible, those ones that nobody ever talks and teaches about. And so I think we were in Song of Solomon when this particular review came. And I'm like, like, you know, I, I really was pretty upfront with people as I went through the, you know, both of those series and I explained what we were looking at. And I gave a list of all of the resources I had used for um, for the eschatology series. I gave a list of you know the resources I was using when we were going through the Bible. I still do today. I've got my 
uh, ESV Bible open. I've got uh, my Lutheran study Bible, and I'll generally have commentaries from Luther or other Lutherans available on my screen so I can cycle through them and, and talk more in-depthly about what's going on. And I was just thinking, I'm like, boy, the, the blunt honesty is wonderful, and I totally and utterly appreciate it. And so um, please, by all means, leave your reviews. If they're one star, five star, whatever in between, tell me what you think about the show. I'd love to hear it because if if you are an active listener and you enjoy the show but you want to make it better, you think I can fix something, I want to correct something, DM me, leave me a review, whatever it may take to get my attention, and, I, and I'm solely here to service you. That is the premise of the show is to take God's word, simplify it, and make it palatable for you so that way you're not having to drive to work listening to this show and having to take notes on the freeway because I'm going through some you know really intricately deep doctrines that's not the direction I want this show to take so uh, if you really want to you know if you really enjoy the show and you want to support us you can do so through patron uh, you can go to patron.com forward slash and light the link is in the show notes it's also in all of my uh, social media pages you can go and check that out a dollar a month gets you full access to everything and uh, 10 and some change gives you access to the full year, uninterrupted, 12 months. And uh, as I mentioned before, I am in the process of writing a book. I'm working on the third chapter as we are recording this episode. I have submitted the first two chapters to a publisher in hopes that they will publish the book. And uh, so I sent a proposal off, and so I'm waiting anxiously. It is a four to six week wait, so... Um, on pins and needles and I've been on that since like last Thursday so I'm very much excited and you know even if I get denied and rejected I'm a first-time writer so I, I completely understand it uh, it would take a miracle of God's moving to get me to be um, first publisher to be published type thing you know so I took a big swing and uh, we'll see how it goes if they don't uh, decide to go with my my book then I will certainly uh, self-publish it and it'll probably end up being an ebook for a while and then I'll try and see how if that works out well then we'll move to print books and go from there so if you're interested um, the premise of the book is to engage you as a as a lay person in the church it is to uh, call to attention the type of content you're hearing as a lay person in the church uh, and, and we go through a plethora of sermons and service constructs and, and hopes that we can boil down the type of sermons that you're hearing and what type of impacts those sermons will have on you going home and reading your Bible. And then from that aspect, I shift into more of a, how can you be uh, constructive in your Bible reading time? What can you do that would be the most conducive for you? And in, whether it's a short amount of time or a large amount of time, what can you do to get the most out of reading? And so my whole the whole rest of the book is really focused on giving you some of the very basic tools and pieces. And, you know, I was talking with my wife last night actually about it. And I, you know, I asked her this question. I said, if you sit down to read your Bible, how would you do it? And she's like, well, I'd probably sit and start with Genesis because that's just what you would assume with a book, right? You start Genesis and you read it all the way through Revelation. You, know, you, you don't hop around and jump around. And that's one way to do it. You can jump around and hop around. That's another way you can do a reading plan. And so we talked through some of that stuff and I said, you know, if you were to just uh, get to a passage and not understand it, but you could understand the law and gospel construct out of it, would that be an easy way for you to handle the passage? She said yes. And so that has been kind of the direction I want to take with this book is to help people to cultivate the, the law 
out of the text. What is this command? What is God telling me to do? And get the gospel out of the text. What is God promising me that supersedes the law, that goes above and beyond the law? So that's the um, kind of context and pretext to, to the book. Uh, I hoped my goal is to have it done by Christmas of this year. I, like I said, I've got probably, well, the original outline was five chapters. I might add a sixth or seventh chapter, depending on the, the complete direction I want to take with it. I could do just a prologue and make it like the final chapter and just highlight some of the things that I, I wanted to clarify about other, you know, topics that aren't necessarily a focus of the book. And so I've had some good constructive criticism and some good insight from people outside of my immediate circles and they had suggested these things and so I'm, I'm kind of weighing through the weeds to see where I could place those those questions and, and concepts in the book or if we should put them in like a prologue or a final chapter and just kind of like and here's why type thing we you know here's why uh, Protestantism is you know different than Lutheran or not well Protestants are different than Roman Catholics how are Lutherans different from the rest of Protestants does it make or, you know, is it a make or break deal if you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian or an Anglican or a Methodist or a Lutheran or a Roman Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox? What, you know, what is the what is the kind of meat and potatoes behind all of these different views and why do we have so many different views? So it's not necessarily the focus of the book, but it's really good questions that were drawn out uh, from some of the people outside of my immediate circle. And so, again, that's going to be something I focus on. I probably either uh, in a final chapter or I might kind of trickle it in through the book. So if you are a patron, you will get access to the uh, rough draft copies as I release them to the patrons. They'll, they are able to see the first two chapters as of now, and I've um, they've been able to read them and critique them and provide insight. So that's uh, a huge perk for them. But anyways, uh, let's get into the text today. We've got quite a bit of uh, material, and, and of course, we try to keep it under that 30-minute mark, so we try to get you in and out of here um, on time. Sometimes we scoot over a little bit, but uh, we're going to try and uh, hit that marker as best as we can. So here we are, verse 14 in chapter 8, and here's what we get. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, Lying sick with a fever, he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and were he and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah: He took our illnesses and bore our disease. So we don't have any uh, words or teachings directly from Jesus. We have him touching Peter's. A mother-in-law, which would indicate Peter is married, not anything that's, you know, crazy and out of left field here like some of the Roman Catholics would like to believe. Uh, Peter's married. His mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus comes in, touches her. The fever leaves. She rises and begins to serve her. Now, some people might, you know, balk at this construct of, you know, her getting up and beginning to serve uh, him. And, you know, Jesus, because he's, the, you know, the center guest, he's the focus of all of these crowds. This was the culture in that time period. Women were the homemakers. And I know that's a, that, that could be hard for a lot of the feminists to handle because they want to empower, you know, these women and put them at the forefront of everything. But when it comes to, you know, the dirty jobs or the, the dangerous jobs, those are man's jobs. 
it's it's a, the hypocrisy is hilarious. But anyways, they 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 can get feisty. I've heard some people balk at this uh, because they don't think that she should have served him or that they you know it was misinterpreted or mis miswritten because she certainly you know would have not just have been healed and then got up and started to do this. Well, this was the culture and you know the women were the homemakers and so when you came into a house whether you were the husband or the guest of you know the family the woman and women in the house would prepare the foods they would serve the foods they would take care of the cleaning of the house and they would make sure that you as a guest were comfortable that's just the culture that we have and so you know it, it's not anything out of left field when uh, Jesus comes in heals her and then she begins to get up and, and serve him He's not calling for it. He's not asking for it. He's not telling her to do it. This is just a, you know, a pre-understood building out of gender roles in this time period. So that evening, more than likely, they had lunch and they had discussions and they're all sitting around talking and that. Many people bring their friends and loved ones who are oppressed by demons. He casts those out with the word and then he heals all who were sick. And this is, again, to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah has spoken. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So uh, this is going to be where we start to put together this greater puzzle of Jesus accumulating and drawing in our sin. Now, he's going to bear our diseases, but that doesn't mean that we are going to uh, be cancer-free if we're Christians or we're going to be you know, we're, we're going to be able to get past heart disease or we're going to get past any of these other issues that we have with our bodies. Our bodies are sick, broken, and, 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 and they're essentially decaying in front of us. And they, they require so much maintenance just to keep you going through life. That is not what this passage is talking about. What it is talking about, the final defeat over illnesses and death. This is the uh, taken from one of the suffering servants that Isaiah includes in uh, Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 7 and again in 53 5. When this is being presented in Matthew's gospel, it is not the immediate action that Jesus is taking, but it is to uh, fulfill the completion that in, a, in and upon his return, he will demolish and diminish and get rid of all of the you know, broken bodies, sinful bodies, all sin will be eradicated. It'll be crushed, destroyed. It'll be gone. All illnesses, all diseases, everything will be, will be destroyed. That is how we would understand a text like this. It is not the immediate healing because, uh, you know, uh, just last night I was laying in bed and I had a stuffy nose. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is an illness, you know, it's maybe a head cold coming on. Thankfully it kind of dissipated through the night, but you know, being here in Midwest Iowa, where you get weird, wacky weather, you get sick quite a bit during the during the winter months. And so you might be 30 degrees one day and then 60 the next and then zero for a month. And, and so, you're, you know, you're, your body's thrown into all sorts of different, you know, directions and you get head colds and, and you know, flus and all that stuff. But you're going to get sick. That's that's what our bodies do. They get sick when when you get too much of a, a a germ of something uh, and you, your body can't fight it off. And so this is not a text as much as the, you know, uh, word of faith and the healing ministries love to use it. This is not a verse that uh, points to the immediate eradication of illnesses and disease. It's to the final uh, return 
of Christ, the eradication of sin, that is when we have the final victory over all of that. So Jesus uh, came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, this includes sin, death, and disease. This is the whole premise to these you know, a few verses here, 14 through 17. Christ ki- uh, came and with a single word has cast out demons and heals all who are sick merely by a touch as indicated by Peter's mother-in-law. So that is, that is tremendous. That's a huge promise that he came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what John quotes in first John three, eight. And this is kind of the whole premise to the Lutheran faith. Like when Jesus came and started casting out, uh, you know, the demons and he cast out, uh, you know, and healed the sick and he forgave sins and the death and resurrection, which we will celebrate here next week. This is the defeat of sin, death and, uh, disease and the devil. You know, we, we say sin, death and the devil, but, uh, in here it's including disease. And, and that's, that is the promise Christ overcame that. Now we can get into some lovely eschatological discussions and, and uh, theological debates on whether Je- uh, Jesus had bound Satan upon his death and is Satan actively roaming the world or is he been bound up? And so those are interesting debates, not anything we're going to get into the show today, but uh, some interesting things to maybe ponder, if you would. I think personally uh, he was bound, but now I feel because we're getting to such a, a, a tribulational time period I think Satan has been let loose. Uh, we see massive deceit, de- deceitful teaching going on in the church. And we see a lot of people f- kind of floating away from sound orthodox teaching. And we are we have experienced, in fact, I just had somebody on my Instagram page quote to me. And I, I'll read you the quote. I'll read you the quote because this just, this just blew my mind. Uh, so we're talking about Old Testament tithing. And I said there's, you know, when, you comes, when it comes to Old Testament tithing, there's a few things we have to deal with. One, you're not Israel. The command for tithing was to Israel. Two, it doesn't include money exclusively. It includes grains and uh, other offerings that you bring. It's always your first offerings of whatever you are producing. Had had very little to do with actual money until until later on. So the original construct of tithing was around grains, and it was for offerings. That was what the tithe was. So. And then I go on to say, and there's no command in the New Testament by the church, by the apostles, or by Christ that these things should continue. The only instance we have is the building and establishment of the church in Jerusalem in Acts in the first few chapters where they people would come and sell everything they had to contribute to that. That is not something that is a prescription for all Christians. That was a very isolated moment. So this person... Uh, was arguing with me on that. And so then he, this is what he responds with born, a born again, Christian, full Pentecostal, not living under the old Testament law at all. And once again, in your theory, you cannot find where it says not to tithe in the new Testament. Okay. So he's using, you know, some really terrible argument because you were like, well, you know, the new Testament doesn't say you can drive a car. So can you drive a car? Uh, the new Testament doesn't say anything about abortions. Should you get an abortion? I mean, these are, it's a terrible argument because it has very, it's just, it is, it is, it is weightless. It'll just crumble and fall. He says, go on. Uh, He says, don't give me theory. Give me the written word of God. I normally don't debate religious issues, but God spoke to me on this. And to answer this, I see that you are a Lutheran preacher. 
So God told me to correct you and your improper teachings to your flock. I will debate this no more. You have been told the truth, whether you continue to teach false teachings to your flock, you will answer for not me. God bless. <laughs> it's like, uh, God spoke to me. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, that's not what this is entailing. It's just, it just, it just, that kind of stuff frustrates me because you know, the, 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 the deceitfulness that is seeping out into the church today. Uh, we, we have people who believe God is speaking directly to them. And that is, that is dangerous waters to, to, to dwell in. So I can rant about that for the next 20 minutes. We're not going to, I want to get you into the next section and uh, let's hammer out these next few verses. Verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side and a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds uh, of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another one of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. All right. So this is uh, titled the cost of following Jesus. Matthew gives us a little bit shorter of a discourse on this particular portion. However, uh, the gospel of Luke gives you a little bit longer discourse on this section. Again, I, I, I've used both and other gospels um, to, you know, to kind of bring in more material. And I don't know if that, you know, as I'm, as now that I'm kind of talking about it, I think that might be helpful to maybe see it in a little bit different light. So let's take a look and see what we got. So I'm jumping over to Luke chapter uh, 10, or I'm sorry, chapter nine, verses 57 through 62. Uh, this is the cost of following Jesus. I saw 10 right there on my screen. So I'm like, so jump the gun a little bit. Luke chapter nine, verses 57 through 62. Let's read it. Uh, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, so let's just pause really quick here. He's left Peter's house. He's now out traveling. Uh, and someone says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head to another. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is, and, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So just a little bit more context. And, and it helps us to get, again, to paint this kind of uh, bigger picture of what is going on here uh, in Matthew chapter 8. And, and I... I use this in our Bible study, which, by the way, if you're a patron, you can join and watch as we're going through the ministry of Christ in a um, in a harmony fashion. So we're looking at every gospel in connection to each other. And this will be one of those times where we'll be able to compare the gospel of Matthew with the gospel of Luke and get the bigger picture. So in this text, we only have Jesus speaking to uh, two people. And so we have the first two of what Luke captures of three. The first one says, teacher, I will follow you. Uh, we note that this is a scribe. Matthew says he's a scribe. He comes up and says to him, so probably somebody of the uh, Jewish culture uh, who, who probably had, you know, followed Jesus. Maybe he you know, heard one of his recent teachings in the temple and and decided, I'm, you know, I, I need to get in on this. And so 
he he comes up to him and says, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it just says someone. So again, it doesn't take away the meaning of the text. Uh, I think Matthew gives us a little bit bigger uh, notion here. Uh, and the addressing is teacher, I will follow you. Uh, this person in the Gospel of Luke just says, I will follow you. He doesn't address Jesus as teacher. But regardless, not uh, discrepancies, just two different perspectives. We know Matthew traveled with Jesus. We know Luke did not. And uh, so there's going to be different perspectives of how these interactions happened. Anyways, Jesus answers in the same way. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So this is something uh, that is, is you know, needed to kind of quickly discuss. You know, foxes have holes, that's their home. Birds have the nests, that's their home. You know, their home base, if you would. They have places that they can go to and sleep. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So a scribe or anybody has a home and they actively go there at the end of the day. That's, you know, they go and they lay down and they go to bed and they wake up and they go back to work, do whatever they need to do. Jesus has no place. And so you would consider Jesus essentially to be kind of nomadic in that sense. He's just traveling and he stays where he stays. There's, you know, many places throughout the three years of ministry that Christ uh, will reside at. Uh, he does set up his home base in Capernaum, but beyond that, he he really kind of just travels and stays with whoever uh, has him. So uh, this is a interesting thing here. John Wycliffe says this in his humanity, Jesus had no such place in a worldly sense in his own proper right of possession. Jesus and his disciples were constantly on the move. Potential volunteers needed to count the cost of discipleship. So that is what it is starting to equate that if you are going to follow Jesus in this, the physical following of Christ, you know, walking with him in his ministry, this is again, understanding the historical, literary, and cultural context to this passage. These three elements draw us to the fact that there's one element here that these people needed to understand the cost of what it would take to follow Christ. In today's world, we wouldn't necessarily say that we have to go and physically travel places, but we know that the cost is going to be different, um, and and it's going to mean leaving the things of the world behind you. So we have to understand there's two kind of you know avenues, if you would, to take a passage like this. Uh, so let's go back here to Matthew and uh, continue on. So he said, you know, he talks about the foxes and the birds. And then another one of uh, the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. So we know he's probably been kind of in a central region for a little bit and he's traveling along, but now he's going to kind of go out of that region. And Jesus is saying, no, you know, let the dead bury their own dead. And so Jesus's harsh answer here sounds uh, to this would-be disciple to, you know, that this is not a general rule. Since honoring one's parents, uh, was required in the commandments, Exodus 20, uh, this particular man needed to hear that following Jesus should take precedence over everything else in his life. So it has it has nothing to do with you not being able to honor your mother and father. You should. But that should be the focus of your ministry is to is to follow Christ. That the the belief in Jesus takes precedence over everything in your life. Everything. Your job, your family, your career. If following Christ 
is your at the epitome of your heart, is it is the very peak, it is the most important thing to you, then you will do everything you can to honor that commitment. And that means living in a godly fashion. It means honoring your parents. That means loving your spouse. That means raising up your kids to be strong believers and not just letting the school systems and the churches uh, you know, that you only give them to for maybe 30 minutes a week teach them. You have to take an active role in raising your children, especially in today's world. And I say the church because, you know, with our church, we've got confirmation once a week. That's about 45 minutes. And that's for uh, generally seventh and eighth graders. And we've got Sunday school, which takes you up to fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade. And, and we don't really, we don't have any high school age kids right now. So we don't have any high school programs. And we've got a whole bunch of preschool or, uh, and, and up aged kids. And we have even some younger ones, which is phenomenal. But we, we only get them for 40 minutes on Sunday morning. And then you get, and then if you're lucky, you, you know, the parent will stay during service and the kid will be able to experience divine worship. And so we're only getting them maybe an hour and a half in a whole week. And the school system gets them for, for 40 hours a week. And on top of that, you've got the, the addictions to social media and all the other junk going on. So you as a parent have to take an active role in raising your children. That is, you know, the, the cost of following Christ is raising your kids to be firm believers, to be able to stand against the storms of the world. That is, that is the cost of being a follower of Christ is to raise up that next generation. So uh, in, in the gospel of Luke, again, this isn't recorded in Matthew, but in, in the gospel of Luke, there is uh, the final person. Uh, he says, in yet another uh, comes up, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say farewell to my home, to, to those at my home. Uh, so, you know, he wants to go back and say, Mom, Pa, I'm going off. I'm going to go on an adventure. Uh, you know, I wish you the best. I'll see you sometime. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It, this is a, you know, a, a basic statement to understanding kind of the, um, once you commit yourself to doing the work of the kingdom, don't look back to your previous life. Don't look back to the previous, you know, desires and sinful lushes, lusts that you've had. Don't look back to what you have surrendered because then if you, that's what you're doing, you're constantly going to go, you know, I remember when I did this and I really enjoyed it. And I remember when I did that and I enjoyed it. And you know, maybe, maybe a little bit of this won't hurt. Maybe a little bit of that won't hurt. You know, oh, maybe I can, you know, cut the corner here and, and kind of, <clears throat> you know, go back and live in that type of fashion a little bit. None of that is going to earn you anything. So that is the cost of following Jesus. And, and again, we'll see more of that kind of happen throughout the gospel and we'll see more directed, you know, like the picking up your cross and following him. That'll be an interesting uh, show because we will unpack what it really means to pick up your cross. And we will, we'll discuss some of the, you know, the Protestant views of it and what it means to actively pick up your cross. And we'll look at how the Lutherans handle that text. And uh, we'll notice that there's a pretty significant difference in, in, in application to it. So... Uh, we've got, uh, the continuating on here. Jesus is going to calm a storm and uh, heal two men with demons. As we close out chapter eight, that will be next week's show. So tune in for that. Uh, this will, that show will drop on good Friday. Um, I haven't decided if I'm going to do a good Friday theme episode since it is on, you know, we do Friday drops. Um, Nick over at crisis of cure has a really good Easter 
podcast going on. So go check that out if you're looking for some Easter versus Pagan, you know, all that kind of that that whole debate. Nick does a great job working through that. So go and check it out. Uh, but I, I I'll, I'll ponder it around. Maybe we'll do a Good Friday episode. We'll talk about the death and resurrection of Christ in 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 its fullness. And we'll talk about the application, implication, and all that stuff that uh, and, and the impacting nature of that for us even today. So maybe that's what we'll do for next Friday's episode, and then we'll we'll kind of come back to closing out chapter eight the week after. We're in no hurry, so if we have to pause for a week, I'm totally down for it, especially as it comes into one of the most holy weeks of the year. So uh, for the Christians, especially for Lutherans, this is the week be- between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday. These are the um, you know, seven, eight days here that are that are most vital, most important construct to the Lutheran faith. And so that's that, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday as this episode drops. So Sunday is Palm Sunday. Get into church, hear the word preached, partake in the sacraments if they offer them. We will not be doing the sacraments as we will have them on Thursday and Sunday of the coming week. So, um, but uh, by all means, go and listen to the word preached Make sure your sins have been forgiven and enjoy your weekend. God bless. We'll see you all later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.